My name is Ryan Hembry, and I'm one of the non-vocational pastors here at Mosaic. It's my joy to be here this morning as we continue through our series on the Lord's Prayer. As a quick recap, so far this summer, we have walked through the petitions or the, uh, the appeals in the prayer focused on the Lord. For the Father's name to be kept holy, for his kingdom to come, and for the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this morning, we will begin to look at the petitions that turn in toward us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The Lord's Prayer is a model from Christ that orients our hearts around God's heart. Specifically in this portion this morning, around our hearts on dependence on him and proximity to him. It's our main point this morning, so I'll repeat it. The Lord's Prayer is a model from Christ that orients our hearts around God's heart. And this morning we'll focus on the portion of our dependence on him and our proximity to him. The various petitions of the Lord's Prayer have in common the desire for all things to be made right. The way they were meant to be, the way they were created to be, and the way they one day will be again. While Christ has conquered sin and death, making a way for us to be reconciled to God, there is an aspect of that reconciliation that is not yet complete and will not be until the return of the King. For whatever reason, I have this vivid memory of the gifted and talented testing in kindergarten. I don't know why that sticks out so clear to me. But the way this test was given, the whole, the whole class was tested, and they gave out these blank sheets of paper to everyone in the classroom, and on those, on those papers was just a, a thin black line of an outline of a person. And we weren't given much instruction. The teacher really just said, just show us your creativity. And so I grabbed my box of crayons, and I started to shade in the person, and I was pretty awful at at staying within the lines, but I was trying my best. I colored clothes on the person, and I added shoes. I chose an eye color and drew on some hair, and then I sat back in my chair, really just trying to think about what could I add to my paper to show that creativity that the teacher was talking about. And after I sat there for a while, this idea came to my mind, and I got pretty excited about it, and I grabbed a crayon, and I started to draw a watch on my person, and I thought that was really creative. And I just sat back in my chair looking at my paper and had this pride welling up in me. And I grabbed my paper and I started to walk to the front of the classroom. And another student, uh, a few rows in front of me, a friend of mine, stood up at the same time and walked his paper up to the, the front of the class as well. And he got there before me. And so I got to see his paper as he was handing it to the teacher. And when I saw his paper, this flood of realization hit me as I saw his paper. Because he had turned his figure into an astronaut. And not only was he an incredible artist for a six-year-old, he had drawn in all of this detail. And, um, and not only that, on the, on the outside of the person, all the blank space, he had filled it in with stars and with planets and all these things from the solar system. And it hadn't even occurred to me to touch the white space outside of the person. And so when I saw his paper, I started to realize how helpful it would have been to have a little bit more instruction on the front end or even to see his paper on the front end and maybe see that as a model for what creativity could look like. 
instructions are really helpful in life. Can you imagine getting a box full of Ikea furniture and having all the parts and having all the tools you would need and no instructions? Now, I'm looking around. I see some of you in this room that would have no problem with that. I would be lost. Instructions are, my wife laughs. That's true. Um, Instructions are so important in life. But even more helpful would be to have an expert in this space sitting next to you, walking you through the various things you go through in life. There have been many times in my life that I haven't known how to pray. The words just didn't come to mind. Or there have been some significant things that have happened in my life when I didn't even know the direction to pray. How gracious for Jesus to give us a model for how to pray and what to pray for. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be back in Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 11, we read this. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The first of these petitions, focusing on us, is the petition asking God for daily bread. Now in the 21st century, particularly in the West, we are a culture that has most of our daily needs met. We don't often want for food or for shelter. Most of the cities around our country have programs to be of assistance when people find themselves in these situations. And we've also largely transitioned away from being paid day rates. That would have been more common in first century Israel when this prayer was written. And not only do we have most of our day-to-day needs covered, we have the ability to buy in bulk, we can refrigerate and store up, And so this concept of relying on the Lord for daily bread can feel a bit foreign to us. We have to consider more deeply to better appreciate what Christ is saying. My oldest brother is a missionary in Shanghai, in China. He and his family have lived there for 16 years now. And they're actually one of the families that, uh, one of the international missionary families that Mosaic supports. And he's back here for a handful of months. And so he'll be able to gather with us here in a few weeks and to be able to share some of the, uh, the ways that we can be praying for them, share some updates on the work that they're doing over there. Then they haven't been back as a family for about five years. And so it's been really good to see them. Um, the pandemic was incredibly difficult in China, really it was difficult all over the world. But there were some particular ways in China that it was hard. And one of them was the lockdowns that they had. With their zero COVID policy, they would lock down their apartment complexes if a single person tested positive for COVID. In fact, if one person was traced back to being in contact with somebody who tested positive, they would lock down their entire apartment complex. And when I say locked down, I mean locked down. They couldn't leave their apartment to go buy basic needs at the store. They couldn't go to the store for groceries. They could leave once a day to go be tested in a common area outside. And it was, it was kind of humorous because they would say they would just walk slowly back to their apartment, being able to enjoy some time outside, some time in the sunlight to see some other people outside of their family. And it was difficult. They were locked down for several weeks. But he talked about some ways that the Lord was really gracious to them. And one of the ways that, 
um, that God was gracious was that they had this program that came in an app so they could order groceries. When food began to come, become scarce, uh, they passed around an app that they could use, and so they could order food. And it wasn't like Amazon. They couldn't just go order anything that they wanted. What they could do was that they would say, you know, how many heads of cabbage do you want? Or how much of this vegetable that you've never cooked with, how much of that do you want? And so they have to look up recipes and make do with what they had. But they, they would say they not only survived during that time, they thrived in a lot of ways. But he had some friends that didn't speak Mandarin fluently. And so they really struggled to participate in that program. They couldn't order food like my brother and his family could. And as food began to become scarce, they became acutely aware of their lack of daily provision. And even more than that, they became very aware of their, their own lack to provide it for themselves. Bread is the food of the Bible. So there are a number of examples that we could look at this morning as analogies to daily bread. But for the time that we have this morning, we'll look at two. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And when you think about daily provision of bread in the Old Testament, it's hard not to think about the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. After escaping Egypt, they sat in the desert and they began to become hungry. And they started to rewrite the history of their plight in Egypt. They said, there we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. In reality, they were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh was incredibly oppressive to the Israelite people. And when they had escaped, there was great celebration and worship of the Lord who had delivered them. But as they begin to lack daily provision, their memories shifted, and they began to complain. In response, God said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And the Bible says that they measured what they had gathered, and whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God graciously met their needs, despite the grumbling. But even more than meeting a physical need, he was teaching his people to be dependent on him and that he could be depended on. Even more than meeting a physical need, God was teaching his people to be dependent on him and that he could be depended on. Out of greed or anxiety, the Israelites they, they couldn't store up a week's worth of food. If they were worried about how much food they had, they couldn't just store up a week's worth of food. The Bible says the worms would get to it. Or if, on the other hand, if they fell short somehow on what they had gathered, God made it enough. So through these daily reminders of faithfulness, God was orienting the Israelites' hearts toward dependence on him. And then in the New Testament, Jesus performs a miracle multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 men along with women and children. The next day, a crowd seeks out Jesus again, and he admonishes them, because similar to the Israelites witnessing a miracle, praising God, and then very quickly losing faith, this crowd wasn't seeking Christ because of his signs, but because they were hungry again. They wanted what Christ had to offer, but not necessarily Christ themselves. 
So Jesus exhorts their focus not to be on food that perishes, but instead to seek out and to desire food that endures eternal life. The crowd hears this and they are skeptical, not only about who Jesus is, but about what he is saying. Lost my spot. So Jesus exhorts their focus not to be on the food that perishes, but to instead to seek the food that endures eternal life. And so in the skepticism of this crowd, they ask for another sign like the ones that their forefathers had shown them. They wanted Jesus to rain down bread like their forefathers had seen, bread from heaven. And I love Jesus' response here. What Jesus says is, I am the bread of life. I am the miracle that God has sent from heaven to eternally save and satisfy you. Jesus met a lot of physical needs in his ministry. He met physical hunger on earth, but his purpose on being sent here was so much greater. The crowd grumbled in response, first because of these claims coming from the son of Mary and Joseph. They knew Mary and Joseph, and they were wondering who this son of the of Mary and Joseph were that was claiming these things of the divine. And then second, they didn't even have a category for when Jesus began to speak about his body being the bread of life to be consumed. But Jesus is the fully satisfying bread of life. And he left his disciples with a practice that has been repeated for thousands of years As often as we gather here at Mosaic, we remember Christ with the Lord's Supper by eating the bread and by drinking the cup. I would venture to guess that everyone in this room has gone at least a day without praying for daily bread. And on those days, I'm confident that you still ate. The words of this prayer aren't meant to be magical words to get what we want or even what we need. The Lord does desire to meet our daily needs, but even more, the Lord's prayer is a model from Christ that orients our hearts around God's heart. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. St. Augustine calls verse 12 the terrible petition. Charles Spurgeon said that if you pray the Lord's Prayer while harboring an unforgiving spirit, you are essentially signing your own death warrant. What they were collectively saying was that the prayer Jesus is modeling here is similar to what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. Jesus says, For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. The measuring stick that we use to judge others will be the same measuring stick that God will use to judge us. We are essentially saying in this prayer, forgive us our debts in the same manner that we have forgiven our debtors. And I can't begin to guess how many times I have prayed prayed this prayer. And preparing uh, for this sermon revealed some things that I hadn't considered before. First, Is Jesus really telling us that our forgiveness from the Father is contingent on us first forgiving others? And second, are we meant to daily ask forgiveness for our eternal sins? I found these two questions helpful 
to better understand verse 12. First on contingent forgiveness. It's not the model that we're used to seeing, is it? More often we talk about verses like Ephesians 4.32 where it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's more of what we're used to. The idea of forgiving others because Christ first forgave us. Meaning there is not a debt in the world that could compare to what we were on the hook to pay for. So because we were forgiven so much, we must in turn strive to be generous with our own forgiveness. And that model is true and it is biblical, but it's not what Jesus is saying here. You only have to read a few more verses into Matthew 6 to see Jesus double down on this. Starting in verse, 15, uh, verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is indeed saying that if we don't forgive, forgiveness will be withheld from us. And that is a hard truth. At least for me it was. But really, this is a great example of Christ showing us how to orient our hearts around his Because to truly extend forgiveness, we must let go of bitterness. We must take on a posture of humility and count others as greater than ourselves. And it is in this posture that our hearts are prepared also to receive forgiveness. Now, I do want to pause here and be mindful to acknowledge that many of you have had very real and very deep hurts from people. For sure, there are times when we maximize the sin of others and minimize our own. There are times when we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. But that's not always the case. Some of you have experienced deep levels of hurt and of betrayal. And I don't want to flippantly exhort you toward forgiveness, but I do want to join Christ And saying that the very best thing for you would be to allow the fractured pieces of your heart to mend by extending forgiveness. Have you ever been so angry or so hurt that it's hard for you to even be on the receiving end of forgiveness? I think that's part of what Jesus is saying in this prayer. Forgive our debtors so that we can be forgiven. And to the second question, when Jesus is modeling us to forgiveness here in the Lord's Prayer, are we meant to daily ask forgiveness for all of our sins? This is something else I hadn't considered deeply until recently. Typically when I think about forgiveness, I think about forgiveness from debt. Eternal forgiveness is what comes to mind. But again, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray. And we see, that the da- we see through the daily bread prayer that this is something that Jesus had in mind as a prayer to repeat. So for the believer in Christ, how many times was, must we ask for forgiveness from our sins? Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from those who fear the Lord. When we approach the Lord on Judgment Day with our long list of sins, single-spaced, double-sided, narrow margins, we will, through our sins, have earned death. But for the Christian who is in Christ, that death was paid for on the cross. 
It's not that we are forgiven our sins and we are meant to live our lives in guilt or shame, repaying that debt by constantly asking for forgiveness. Union and communion with God language is very helpful in this conversation. Those who have professed that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead experience union with Christ, which is an irreversible, unbreakable connection that allows you an assurance that cannot be found or replicated anywhere else. He will not fail you. You cannot send your way out of union with Christ. Now this is tricky, or at least it's a bit nuanced. Because of our ongoing sin, can we really be separated from God? Because of our ongoing sin, and we do sin, can we really be separated from God? This again is viewed through the type of forgiveness that we are talking about. Eternally, the believer in Jesus Christ cannot be separated from God. But have you ever been stuck in a particular sin pattern? When you knew intellectually that God is everywhere, but because of ongoing sin, he didn't feel near? Or think back to those times where you were feeling dry spiritually, feeling like you're being faithful to show up, faithful to read his word, but you're just going through the motions and you don't feel like your heart is in it. One of the recurring ways that I can fall into that is when we're running late somewhere. When our family is running late somewhere, specifically when we're running late to church. 10 o'clock seems like such an attainable start time, doesn't it? But inevitably, there are a handful of Sundays where it's time to leave. And not only do we not have shoes tied, there's days where there's not shoes in sight. And in those moments, I, I just feel this frustration begin to well up inside of me. And the words coming out of my mouth are just losing any trace of encouragement toward my family. And I start to feel justified in the way that I'm speaking to those around me. And when we show up to church, everybody's a little bit flustered. And we don't go off and have this sweet time in worship with the Lord. You know that's not how that story ends. They're frustrated in their own right. Their feelings are hurt. I'm feeling a little bit of guilt and shame for the way that I have led my family that morning. When I'm singing these words, they feel a bit hollow. And although I am eternally forgiven... My sin against my family and the Lord can cause a feeling of distance from him. My union with Christ is undisturbed, but my communion with the Lord has been disrupted. Just as Jesus made a way for the forgiveness of our sins eternally, in this prayer, he gives us a way for our communion with God to be reconciled as well. He will portion out our forgiveness using the same measure that we use for others. The reality is that we can feel separation from God while at the same time not losing a millimeter of proximity to him eternally. We can feel separation from God while at the same time not losing a millimeter of proximity to him eternally. And the Lord's heart is to invite us back into communion and into fellowship with him. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors.
in the life-altering, all-important, gifted and talented kindergarten testing. My friend passed with flying colors, and I was not chosen that year. And to be fair, it probably was not the clarity of instruction that was my shortfall. Neither creativity nor art was my strong suit in kinder. I am eternally grateful that our union with Christ does not depend on our abilities. If that was the case, we would fall woefully short. I thought adding a watch to the figure in my kindergarten paper was remarkably creative, only to see my friend's astronaut in the solar system and suddenly realize the Grand Canyon-sized difference in our abilities. So again, I am likewise grateful that our union with Christ does not depend on our abilities. And on the flip side, where our communion with Christ is at stake, Jesus graciously invites us into fellowship with him through the forgiveness of others and by inviting us to ask the Father for forgiveness. God's word in general, but specifically the Lord's prayer, is such a gift. Jesus encourages us to request these sweet petitions from a gracious Father who is so willing to both hear them and to answer them. As we go out this morning, I encourage you to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6, considering what God has for you in the Lord's Prayer. And maybe it looks like spending some time catechizing your children by teaching them the prayer. Or maybe you could take some extra time and instead of just reading through the prayer, maybe pausing on each word and considering what Christ was modeling through his prayer. How can we gather together and desire the aspects of the Lord's Prayer in such deep ways that our hearts change and we go out from this place living radically different lives because of it? The Lord's Prayer is a model from Christ that orients our hearts around God's heart. He encourages us to depend on him, and he desires us to draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the numbers of ways that you show us daily dependence on you. And God, we pray for the instances in our lives when we start to depend on ourselves and for the times that we start to depend on the things of this world. We pray that you would graciously shatter our dependence on those things and point us back to you. God, we pray that as often as we pray this prayer, that you would orient our hearts around your heart, around the things that you care about. God, we pray that we would be quick to forgive. We pray that we would be quick to ask for forgiveness, that we would humble our hearts and that we would daily seek to have a posture to receive forgiveness from you. God, we love you. We thank you for the ways that you have Bless this church that you have um, been gracious to us. And God, we pray that we would um, go out from this place and we would make your name famous throughout the city of Richardson. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.